Okay, so I read a story recently about a pastor's wife, and she was invited to be on this game show back in the 1970s. I think the game show came out of, of Canada, which, you know, we have some friends from Canada. Woo, yeah, there we go. We got some Canadians here, eh? Right? So, um, so this, this, this uh, game show, it's kind of like Jeopardy, but it was called the $128,000 question. All right, that was a lot of money back in the 70s, $128,000 question, and you could win up to $128,000 if you just keep answering all the questions correctly. So this pastor's wife goes on the program, and she makes it through day one, and she gets the $16,000 question right, but now she has a decision. Do I come back the next day and risk it all with a $32,000 question? Well, she decides she's going to do that because her husband and her, they needed some extra money and, and the 16000 just didn't quite get them square. And so she decides she's going to come back. Well, the next day, she doesn't have to be back in the studio until early evening. And so she decides to make sure she doesn't get stressed. She's just going to walk around one of the indoor malls in Toronto. And she's walking around the mall and finds a bookstore and you would imagine somebody on a game show like that likes to read. So she gets reading one of these books. And in the books, there's all kinds of facts and interesting information that she's just taking in. And, and one of the pages she lands on is talking about all the different plays um, and, and when they premiered, all the Agatha Christie plays. And she found that kind of interesting and then moves on to the next page. Well, she shows up at the studio for the, uh, for the game show for the $32,000 question. And can you imagine what the question that she's asked? Can you name and list the titles and opening dates of the plays of Agatha Christie? That was her $32,000 question. She killed it. Knocked it out of the park. Got it 100% correct. Gets the $32,000 question. Says, that's enough for me. That covers the expenses. God set this whole thing up. God showed up. His timing was perfect. I'll take the money and run. It was a miracle. And it was an example of God's perfect and providential timing in someone's life. Giving this woman just what she needed exactly when she needed it. You know, God does that gives us exactly what we need when we need it. Last week we talked about how Christmas reminds us that God is he's supernatural. And this week, today, Christmas reminds us that God's timing is supernatural. God's timing is perfect and providential. So you look back in the day and, and, and you realize that for thousands and thousands of years, for centuries, thousands of years, God's people, the Israelites, they were waiting, wondering, crying out for a Messiah. They'd read all the prophetic words. They'd, they'd, they'd heard all of the prophetic words about a Messiah coming to rescue them, to save them. And they were longing for that day to happen. How long, Lord? How long? Hosanna, come, Lord, come. 
How many of you do that sometimes? Well, you're about to find out he's already come. So, hey, you know, you know, he's come, all right? He's right here. He's come. But anyway, so, but all of a sudden it was like God went silent with his people, with the Israelites. I know that never happens with us. We never feel like God goes silent. But, but, but in, in many ways, God did go silent with the Israelites. You see, after prophetically speaking to his people, For thousands upon thousands of years, God went silent, and it would be 400 years before God's people would hear his voice again. All the way from Malachi until the angel Gabriel would speak to Zechariah, they heard nothing from God. But this we know, God's timing is perfect. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time for everything. We know this, you know, I'm thinking about this. As a nation, there was a time for voting, right? We just went through that. There was a time for voting, and, and so we did that. How many of you love election seasons? I'm putting my hand on I can't. I mean, it drives me crazy. It's, it's stressful. Um, but it's, it's a necessary. It's one of those necessary things, I guess. And, and, and God has blessed us with a, uh, a democratic republic. And this is one of the things that we get to do is we get to vote. And we get to cast our vote and, and use that, that power that we're given uh, by God and that freedom that we have to vote. Well, so there was a season for voting. But you know, you know what season it is right now? It's a season for praying for our leaders and living with what we voted for. I mean, that's the season we're in right now. I didn't plan on talking about this, but I want to encourage us. Pray for our leaders. But I didn't vote for that leader. All the more reason probably to pray for that leader. And not pray for ill for them, but pray that they would encounter God. Okay? So there's a season for voting a season for praying and dealing with what we voted for. Velvet and I just recently became empty nesters. And so we're we're realizing new seasons, right? There was a season for raising our four kids. There were diapers to be changed. I think I changed four of them maybe in the whole time, but that's just whatever. I know all the women are like, oh, I don't know about this pastor anymore. Anyway, I know I'm a different man now, okay? I'm a different man, um, but I still don't like changing diapers. But anyway, but there's a season for everything, and so, so there's a season for raising our, our children, but, but now the time and the season we're in is to release our kids and to cheer them on, to pray for them. There's a time and there's a season for everything under heaven. And God has something that's, that's called the fullness of time. I'm calling it the supernatural fullness of time. That's going to be point number one today. We, we read about this and ran into this passage in our study of Galatians that we just finished. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, we read this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. He's talking about the birth of Jesus, right? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law. The fullness of time. What does that mean? It means that exact moment, the right moment, the precise time and place, God's purposes, His plan was revealed and was realized. The fullness of time. Perfect. Exact. And Christmas paints this picture of God's perfect timing, of His providential timing of his supernatural timing. So we're going to go into the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Verse 1. In those days. What days? Well, apparently, those perfect and providential days. Because something's about to happen. You know what I'm saying? Something's about to happen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I want to stop there. It just, it's just hitting me. Notice how the most insignificant, mundane things, even things that annoy us, how God can use them and how they can fit into his perfect timing and his perfect will. Caesar Augustus says, hey, we're going to have a census. We're going to shake everything up and everybody's going to have to get up and move and move around and, 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 and God's going to use that. Verse 2, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Providential, perfect, fullness of time, right? She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So the birth of Jesus, it reminds us that God moves and shows up at exactly the right time in the right place. The right time and the right place. It's a picture of what's called as omniscience. How many of you heard that term before? God is omniscient. He's outside of time, yet he still works in and through time. Omniscience is defined this way. It's, quote, the state of having total knowledge, the quality of knowing everything. How many of you are omniscient? Right, 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 right. Look to your spouse or whatever, or friend, and say, that ain't you. That ain't you. <laughs> anyway, Wayne Grudem says this about God's omniscience. He says, God is always fully aware of everything. Doesn't that give you peace? I mean, think about that. God is fully aware. Well, some of you are scared to death right now. <laughs> He's aware of everything. Yeah, maybe that's good, right? But, but he is. He's fully aware of everything. He's, he's, he's omniscient. Check out how Isaiah describes God's omniscience. Isaiah 46.10. I make known the end from the beginning. 
from ancient times and what is still to come. He knows it all. He's aware of it all. He's involved in it all. Remember we talked about God being supernatural. Above the natural. Omniscient. God knows the when. When's this going to happen? 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 You sound like a little kid, right? When? Why? When? Why? Well, God knows the answer to that. You see, God knows the when. That means God knows when to pull the trigger, if you will. God, God knows when to send His Son to this earth. God knows the fullness of time because He's omniscient. He knows the times. He knows the seasons. He has foreknowledge of all of this. And God uses time to accomplish His perfect and His providential plans. God uses time. Sometimes we can say, hey, let time be your friend, right? I think that's always good advice. Let time be your friend. God has his hand all over time. And he uses it for his perfect will and plan. He works all things together. So, speaking of timing... So the Israelites, God's people, for thousands and thousands of years were looking forward to the Messiah coming. And they kept wondering, man, why hasn't it happened yet? Is it going to happen tomorrow? When's it going to happen? I'm sure they had a lot of people predicting it and and coming out with all these crazy ideas and all this kind of stuff, right? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? You know, one thing that I've noticed is, you know, God gives us a lot of prophetic words, but very seldom does he ever give us the wind. I mean, think about that. Very seldom does he give us the exact when, the exact moment. That requires us to have a little bit of faith and patience and trust and let God be God. Anyway, so the Bible's first and oldest written prophecy that speaks of the miraculous birth of Jesus is found way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, actually. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you have God speaking to Satan. That'll get your attention, won't it? And and check this out. This is what the Lord says. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the devil. Between you, the devil, and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. So God is telling the devil, I'm going to make you an enemy with the woman, and between her seed and your seed. Now, when he says between your seed and her seed, maybe your Bible, like mine, has a capital S after her seed. Her seed, capital S-E-E-D. God is speaking of Jesus, who is to come. And he says that he, her seed, he, Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophetic word about the coming of Jesus, his son. And 
when Christ went to the cross and suffered there, that was a fulfillment of Satan bruising the heel of the seed of the woman, of Jesus. But also, at the same time, Christ broods Satan's head, which meant that Christ dealt Satan that fatal blow as a result of the, of the cross, destroying and defeating the plans of the enemy, destroying and defeating sin and death altogether. In other words, that prophetic word, that word spoken by God way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, happened at that moment, at just the right time. But the time between this word about the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent would be 4,500 years, 4,500 years before that would occur. Now that's some waiting. But it's God's timing. And God's timing is perfect. See, when the fullness of time came in God's precise moment, the Savior came to this world. He put on flesh. He came to this earth that He created, by the way, which is astounding. And by His finished work, He crushed Satan just as God predicted. And we read about this again in Colossians 2.15. In Colossians 2.15, we read this. Check this out. Another time speaking of this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's a reference to the fulfillment at exactly the right time, of this word spoken by God 4,500 years before the cross, of Jesus making a public, public spectacle of Satan, of sin and death, and crushing its head. Isn't the Bible fantastic? Isn't God amazing? How He'll speak a thing? And then it will come to pass. Man, never doubt God. His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. The very one that we're remembering and celebrating this Christmas. All of his promises fulfilled in Christ. And they're all fulfilled. Christmas reminds us that God's timing is supernatural. And I want to make this statement and make sure we all are on the same page with this. This fullness of time has happened. In the fullness of time, He would send His Son to save the world. For God so loved the world that He sent His only. In the fullness of time. And the fullness of time happened. And there are some things, I think, that we are still waiting for or longing for or wondering, when's this going to happen in my life? When, when am I going to be able to have victory over this? And when am I going to be able to have peace in my soul and all of this? And I'm here to tell you that the fullness of time has happened. It is finished. It has happened. Christ has come. 
Salvation is here and it's yours right now. You don't have to wait a week, a year, two years, or whenever from now. It's already occurred. Freedom. The power of sin in your life has been broken. It has happened. The fullness of time has happened. You don't have to wait any longer and wonder what else God is going to do for you to have freedom from that that besetting sin that's been tormenting you. God's grace has come. The fullness of time has come. You have all you need. We have all we need in Christ Jesus right now to walk in the fullness that he has for us. Sometimes we we keep thinking, oh, when's God going to do it? And, And we need to just stop and go, but he's already done it. I need to grab hold of now what he has already grabbed hold of for me. That was a good word, by the way, I'm just going to say. That was for all of us. All of us need to be reminded of that. This fullness of time has happened. Let's get to point number two. The birth of Jesus reminds us that, that there are supernatural suddenlies. I love the word suddenly. It just jumps off the page at me every time I read the word suddenly in the Bible. I just love it. It makes me like want to like just to do a little bit of one of those holy leaps, you know, like, ooh, yeah, suddenly, mm. So the people of Israel have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. They were just doing life, though. They'd kind of forgotten about, you know, this whole thing, this Messiah thing. They were just busy trying to make ends meet, just surviving ordinary life. And then the fullness of time came out of nowhere. just seemed to happen. And in verse 8, we read in Luke 2 that, and there were shepherds. They were just living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. In other words, they were just doing what shepherds do. They were just about their business. But then an angel of the Lord appeared to them. That'll wake you up, won't it? How many of you have ever been just working and an angel of the Lord showed up in the middle of your work? I got a hand up, maybe, yeah. God, God's still showing up, by the way. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit here. An angel of the Lord appeared to these guys who were just doing their job, being faithful, doing their job. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Are you talking about the one that we've been waiting for for thousands of years? This is, this is what the angel is saying to these guys. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And then here we are in verse 13. Suddenly, the providential fullness of time, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared in the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So suddenly, it appears, everything changed. Suddenly, heaven opens up, angels are coming down, good news is flowing from their lips, suddenly. And this is how God often works. He often works in the suddenlies. And and I know for us, a suddenly can kind of catch us off guard. Where did that come from? 
Where, where did that come from? But I'm going to tell you what. Suddenlies don't catch God off guard because he's over it all. Remember, he's omniscient. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning and everything else in between. He understands. He's got his eye on this whole thing, right? So it doesn't catch God off guard. Rather, it's just an example. It's a suddenly to us, but it's just the fullness of time, God's perfect and providential timing is what we run into with these suddenlies. And Christmas reminds us that what happened in that moment on that seemingly normal, apparently, we sing it anyway, silent night, although I don't think sheep are that silent and a town full of people, no room in the end, but we call it that silent night, right? On that seemingly silent night, what happened was not happenstance. Rather, it was something that was planned from eternity and executed precisely and perfectly by the hand of God. It was a suddenly in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. But I'm here to say suddenlies are still happening today. I know they happen to me periodically. When it's like, boom, how did that just happen? Where did that come from, God? God is still doing magnificent and marvelous and miraculous things. How many of you can testify to that? Amen. Amen. Just about every hand went up. He is. God is still rolling out what is called Kairos moments, right and opportune moments that God orchestrates and rolls out for us, letting us know that He has something for us right here, right now, just just at this moment today. However, human nature hasn't changed a whole lot. And the Israelites back in days of old, they missed it. Most of them missed it. God has this kairos moment for them. This fullness of time, this suddenly that's, that, that's occurring right then, right there. I mean, there's a massive star shining. There are angels. And most of God's people missed it. Clueless otherwise occupied. I don't know why. Every time I say the word occupied, I, I'm going off one of those Eric moments. I always, I always think of ocupido or whatever. Isn't that the Spanish word for it? I think so. Anyway, I don't know why, but that's just an Eric moment. Sorry about that. Otherwise occupied. Occupado. Occupado. Thank you. But isn't that how it so often can be for us? We get so occupied, so busy, our eyes on so many different things, our minds on so many different things, so many plans, so many uh, heavy things that we, that we feel like we have to carry and deal with. And too often when that's the case, we miss 
those kairos moments, those, those fullness of time, God showing up suddenly moments. The Israelites, for the most part, missed it, and they still miss it today. And so they're walking, longing for something that's already happened. Crying out, wanting something to happen that's already happened. Let that not be us. Let that not be us. we got to be those who, who look back. we got to be those who are in God's Word. We're looking back. We're studying. Who is God? How does He move and operate? What has He said? But we also have to be those who are looking forward. Who are waiting, who have our eyes open today for such a time as this. And watching and waiting and looking and listening to the voice of the Lord. Is He saying something? Is He doing something? Is He opening a door, a relationship, whatever it may be? We look back, but we also must look forward. We got to remember what God has done in the fullness of time, but we also have to look for the next fullness of time that will suddenly appear right before us. This is all part of this now and not yet of of the kingdom of God. The what God has already done, the what He's doing, and the what He is yet to do. We have to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Or I'm telling you, we're going to miss it. The Israelites of old have shown us that. We probably all have examples in our own lives of that. On this Christmas, let's focus on Christ. Let's not miss it. And not just on Christmas, but this is an everyday, everyday thing. Everyday thing. Man, I was watching this this amazing race show came up after watching an episode of Survivor, which my son kind of has me hooked on a little bit. Um, Don't judge me, okay? I'll start reading your mail. Look out. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so... This amazing race show comes on, and one of the contestants on this amazing race show says that she's a Buddhist, I think is what she said, and she spends two hours every day meditating. She's done it for 10 years, and I just about, I felt so little at that moment, to be honest with you. Do I spend two hours a day just sitting before the Lord, before God, real God, not this fake voodoo, false Eastern junk, demonic. This woman spends two hours a day waiting on on that. What would happen if we spent two hours a day waiting, sitting, listening, being led by the Lord? What are you saying, God? What are you doing? Here, 
and here and, and here. What, what are you doing? What, what would we start seeing? What opportunities would we start actually having some awareness of? Are we looking for God's timing and are we looking for his move? We need to be. Are we expecting God to show up? Are you expecting God to show up? Expecting isn't just a, a, a mindset. It, it, it's, it's an action. If I'm expecting somebody to throw a ball to me, I'm expectant. I'm ready. Are you expecting God to show up? You know when I'm preaching, <laughs> it's one finger that way, right? What is it? Three fingers back this way, and 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 I'm dealing with it all week long, and I'm just just dumping on you just on a Sunday morning. All right, I've had to process this all week long with the Lord. Okay, so I'm not I'm not I'm not preaching this. I'm 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 not just to you. It's it's been anyway. Will we be ready, positioned, prepared, and prayed up for the next suddenly, for the next Kairos moment? Will we? We can be. I really believe we can be. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Point number three, final point, the supernatural timing of Christ's return. How many of you are ready for that? Talk about having our eyes fixed on something, being expectant about something. How about the return of Jesus? The fulfillment of, of, of the other prophetic words spoken about Christ's coming. We have all of those words that have been fulfilled, the fullness of time of His first coming. And now His return, those other words that will be fulfilled because God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. It's going to happen. Just as it did the first time. It's going to happen. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? See, and it's going to happen in the fullness of time. Just as people before Jesus was born were questioning if God would ever really send the Messiah, aren't we seeing the same thing today? Is, is he really going to come back? Is it really going to happen? It's been a long time. Wasn't it supposed to happen, you know, after on this date in 1984? That's what this dude said. And based on the numbers of this and that, and this means this, and that number means that, and, and we put, they said that this was going to happen. Oh, what, that was, they were a year ahead, so we, uh, you know, he hasn't come back. 4,500 years between God saying that about the seed of the woman crushing the head of the seed. 4,500 years, the fullness of time, it happened. Beloved. It's going to happen. The fullness of time. God will be glorified. And we'll all be going, He is perfect. He is perfect. He's perfect. It says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow. How many of you? Just say that. God, you're not slow. Just say, Good. You probably need to say that more often. 
you're not slow, God. It's me. I'm the slow one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I mean, maybe the slow one. I don't know. But God, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Come on now. You're, you're, we, we can judge God in his timing, and God is saying, dude, you don't even know what you're saying. Do you realize he's being patient with you, and you're judging him based on his timing and it not happening in your timing, and all along it's just God's mercy and grace on you. He's being patient with you. He's God. He's good. So, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Right there, there is so much just in that one passage. I love it. I want to preach like three messages right now about that. I'm serious. I do. I mean, we're talking about being patient. We're talking about God's timing being perfect. And, and we're talking about his mercy on us and his patience with us. We, got, we can look about how God doesn't want any. You want the heart of God. You want, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He came for all. He doesn't want anyone to perish God's heart for people. Sinners, enemies of his. But God is patient. He's not coming back to establish that millennial kingdom reign. He's waiting because he loves people and he doesn't want anyone to perish. And he wants everyone to have the opportunity to receive the gift that he brought, the gift of salvation, atonement. For our sins. God is a promise making and a promise keeping God. He said he's coming back. And he will. At the fullness of time. And it says in the gospel of Mark 13, 26. At that time. At that time. When he comes back. At that time. People will see. The Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Christmas reminds us that God's timing is supernatural. God's timing is perfect and God's timing is providential. Jesus has come. The fullness of time has happened. And Jesus is coming back, and the fullness of time will happen. So much to be thankful for, so much to live in right now, and so much to look forward to. It's exciting following Jesus. It's exciting. You know how many people don't have anything to live for? That would be terrible. That's why we need to be sharing the hope of glory, Jesus with everyone. Because not only is there so much that we get to live for right now in Christ, new creations, the old passed away, behold, the new has come, but we have so much to look forward to. This world has nothing to look forward to. Brokenness, pain, 
hurt. Everything going to hell in a handbasket, as they say. And all the young people are like, what is that? I'm older than you, okay? That used to be something that we would say. (laughs) But Christmas reminds us that God is never late. God never misses it. Maybe you need to be reminded of that. God is not late, and he never misses it. The question is, is do you trust God's timing? Can you let go of your timing and trust God's timing? It's not easy. Sounds easy, but I know it's not easy. Are you okay waiting on the Lord and waiting for the Lord? And waiting, how about this one, waiting with the Lord? You okay with that? God has a perfect timing to meet your needs. God has a perfect timing to save your loved ones. You keep being who you are, saying what you know, and giving what you have. You keep loving them. Keep praying for them. God has perfect timing. Maybe you want to meet a future spouse or something. God has a perfect timing for that. Give your time to the Lord. Trust Him. Let Him lead you and guide you to the provision and the blessing that He has for you. God's timing is perfect. For every trial, every difficulty, God has a timing to deal with all those things. What do we do? We keep trusting. We keep praying. We keep looking to Him. We keep praising Him. We keep, as we did earlier, Pastor Tim was encouraging us, we keep thanking Him. We keep waiting for Him. And in that process, as we read in Galatians 6, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, there it is again, proper time. Whose time is that? It's God's time. At the proper time, we will, not maybe, but we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't stop waiting on the Lord. Don't stop trusting Him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's still moving. He's still showing up. Kairos moments right and opportune God moments are still happening and he is coming back. And with that, I want to read these words from Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 30, that speak of that fullness of time of him coming back. Then, when? The fullness of time. Then, at that moment, Jesus is saying, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then, God's timing, and this is a promise, then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The fullness of time. It has happened. Are you living in the result of that fullness, in the fullness 
of Christ Jesus. Jesus came down to heaven from heaven so that you could. The fullness of time. He went to the cross, the fullness of time. He crushed the head of the serpent, the fullness of time. He rose from the dead, the fullness of time. So that you could live in that fullness. In that fullness that's found in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is coming back in the fullness of time. It's going to look a little bit different if you've, if you've read ahead in this book, which I hope you have, right? It's going to look a little bit different when he comes back. But it will be the fullness of time. It'll be perfect. It'll be providential. That's God's way. Let's stand up.